He looked back at me just as plain as day, and he said, I'm a member of the Ku Klux Klan. It would be my privilege to defend the Nazi. It would be my privilege to defend Charles Manson. People are interested in crime. There's no getting around it, and Americans love violence. Coming to a brothel, you're having the full fantasy experience with somebody who knows, let's say, that there's five different ways to give a handjob plus. You know, talk to me about morality. Shut up. I tell you where you can stick your morality, man. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Unfiltered, the podcast. I'm the producer and director of the series, Brian Prouskany. With me, as always, is the wonderful and talented... Me, Joy Zell. You, <laughs> Joy Zell. So believe it or not, we have a different type of episode today. I know we say that a lot, yeah. but... I, we I, haven't covered this topic. We haven't covered this topic. Before. And this is not a very strong topic, I don't think, for either of us, because we're not the most... Um, we're not th- that well-educated. When it comes to finances, yes. I, I definitely think that's like kind of one of my... Or, or the economy in general. I wish It's I, a touchy subject for people, too. But... Obviously, it you don't need to be uh, a genius in the subject to realize that today um, there is a giant amount of economic inequality, uh, unlike we've seen in years past. Um, uh, right now, you know, the middle class is something that is almost non-existent. It feels like um, I'm almost forty years old, and even at my age. If someone actually owns a home, it's somewhat of a rarity. Uh, I mean, you know, we live in New York City, so it's a little different over here. But when you think about times past in the 70s, uh, in the 80s, uh, in, in the 60s, you know, people could work very menial jobs but still afford to have a house in the suburbs, have a car. Right, take have, care of yourself. Have multiple have, kids. Have live, live a good um Comfortable a comfortable life. A comfortable life. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, uh, the way things are today is that's something that's kind of become somewhat obsolete. There really no. is a... And it, it came to a head really on a, for Occupy Wall Street, you know, right. you know, the whole introduction of the term 1%, which is the elite, you know, the wealthiest 1% of Americans in the country. Exactly. And, you know, how much, how much of our finances are going that way, this merging of big business and politics that has potentially brought us to this place. So one of the uh, most outspoken uh, critics about economic inequality is uh, Nick Hanauer. And now uh, what's interesting about Nick is that he is a member of the 1%. He is a billionaire. So we had asked Nick to sit down with us and to talk to us a little bit about his perspective uh, on income inequality. Capitalism is the greatest social technology ever created. But I believe that it is manifestly dishonest to both believe that capitalism is the greatest social technology ever invented, but also believe that the whole system will come tumbling down if capitalists are required to pay their workers enough to get by without food stamps. This is bullshit. There is no excuse for any company in America to pay their workers so little that they need Medicaid and rent assistance. That's not capitalism, that's socialism for the rich. My name is Nick Hanauer, and I'm both a serial technology entrepreneur and venture capitalist, but I'm also a civic activist. The thing about inequality is that every reasonable economy has to have some, that's not in dispute. The question is, how much should you have and how quickly should it change? And really, the, the sort of thing that got me to start to care about this was realizing in 2007 or so 
that the top 1% of Americans in 1980 shared only about 8% of national income, but by 2007 that number had grown to almost 22%, while the, the, the income of the share of the bottom 50% had fallen from about 17.5 to about 12. And it doesn't take a mathematical genius to see that if that trend continues, we will no longer have a capitalist economy or a democracy, we'll have a feudal system. And to be clear, since then it's only gotten worse. Those statistics that he brings up are pretty damning, that the uh, the income share of uh, the country's whole income share like right. has just grown. And we did fact check this. I mean, obviously, you're going to hear a lot of things that are Nick's opinion, but this is actually but true. But this is actually pretty accurate. Yeah. I mean, you see, obviously, a lot of things that changed during the Reaganomics era. And this is also where kind of politics start to fall into play because you're going to see how basically this idea that Nick has is not really shared uh, with Republican conservatives of the world um, who benefited or believed they benefited from Reaganomics. I mean, some of them did actually benefit. Some of them just subscribed to the idea. Um, And, you know, it basically boils down to the trickle-down theory um, that if, you know, the people that make the money at the top, um, if they, you know, they can benefit from tax breaks and such. Um, it'll, and it'll eventually make its way down. That, exactly. The money that they get back. The sort of national trends that have been slowly eroding and eviscerating the middle class have been proceeding for a long time. And that that ideological framework got really rolling under Reagan and the, essentially the rest is history. And you know, so we have endured 40 years of trickle-down economics and that is why largely our democracy is disintegrating today. Make no mistake, if you're a, a middle-class person and feel like the country has left you behind, that is an objective truth. And that, that didn't happen by accident. Leaders on the left and right have enacted policies that have impoverished most people in the middle and have enriched, massively enriched people like me. When people are that angry, they lash out, and we elected the leader who was lashing out too, and he happened to be Donald Trump. He's a narcissistic thug, and, and uh, the quicker he's gone, the better. But to be absolutely clear and honest, he is not the cause of the trouble. He's a symptom of the trouble. So on December 20th of 2017, uh, President Trump signed a GOP tax bill, um, which featured permanent tax cuts for corporations and temporary tax cuts for individuals. And Republicans you know, have been saying that this is going to help the economy. It's going to create a lot of jobs because that way, you know, uh, these rich corporations are going to have more money right. um, and invested, you know, into into the, the workforce. Um, but Hanauer believes that this is just nonsense. Bullshit. Yeah. To put it nicely. The tax bill that the Republicans passed um, a few months ago was just was just a giant theft from the middle class to the very rich. If there was a shred of truth to the idea that tax cuts for rich people and corporations would somehow increase growth, then we would have had enormous amounts of jobs and growth and wage increases already because corporate profits are already twice as high as they were. And a tiny fraction of what companies could be investing is actually invested. The vast majority of the cash flows are simply enriching the very rich already. If it was me, I would radically increase corporate tax rates because I don't think that makes American companies less competitive. 
I think it makes them more competitive because it forces them to invest in themselves and in the country rather than paying taxes. Rich people no more create jobs than farmers create tomatoes. The economy generates jobs, not rich people. And the more money consumers have, the more jobs that are created because people buy things and people like me are required to hire people in order to meet that demand. And so this whole idea that the rich are job creators, again, is just another way of instantiating a narrative that ultimately means we matter and you don't. It's an intimidation tactic masquerading as economic theory. It is exactly the same as claiming that white people are superior to people of color. If you accept that as a biological fact, then there are a bunch of norms that are acceptable, like slavery and other things. The American public needs to come to terms with this and start pushing back against these lies. If people don't have any money, who will buy the stuff? So really, it's the middle class that's like generating these jobs. It's not the rich people. It's not the corporations. It's the people who have the money who are able right. to I put mean, into the economy. I mean, studies have always shown that, you know, the highest level of disposable income uh, really comes out of the middle class, right? The middle class are the people that buy the stuff that, you know, when he's saying who's going to buy the stuff, uh, which is kind of funny, right? It's like the the wealthy can be sort of conservative with their money and the poor don't have the money. But the middle class, right, they're, right. they're the people that are out there that are spending money on cars, that are spending money on boats, that are right, spending money on these appliances and, and electronics and um, – you know, so, you know, to his point, which sort of makes sense to me, I mean, but there is there are many counter arguments to to the, his theory. But, um, you know, his theory is that, you know, listen, you're, you're part of a big corporation. You're one of these wealthy one percenters. Um, you know, if you increase the corporate tax, one way of avoiding paying the government that money is by putting all that money into your business itself, right? So it almost forces you to invest in your company. So in turn, that would probably create more jobs. Mm. Um, uh, Nick had actually even discussed how he learned this uh, by watching his father when he was at a very young age, when his father ran a business. You know, back then when people did this, the whole point was that um, you converted these short-term profits, which were usually taxed at a very high rate, to long-term capital gains, right. um, you know, by hiding this, you know, hiding the profits in new machinery, equipment, uh, factories, people. Um, so you would you would convert it to long-term capital gains because you're investing in your company as opposed to giving right. that money to the government based right. on your profits. And long-term capital gains were taxed at a lower rate. Um, And that's how you didn't pay the IRS a lot of money. But, you know, naysayers don't necessarily agree with this philosophy. Um, They think, uh, you know, Nick might be a little idealistic with this sort of perspective and this view. Uh, And this really comes down to sort of the trickle down theory, the Republican conservative side of things, the fiscally conservative uh, that think, you know, no, we have to. That that corporate tax needs to be decreased, you know, and and, and these people are going to still use that money to create new jobs, which I don't know. It's kind of weird. I mean, I, 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 I don't believe in everything that Nick says, but, it, you know, a lot of it makes sense to me uh, where he's coming from. Um, and, you know, the one thing that he says, too, is that if these if these tax breaks were going to create more jobs, we would have seen this already. Right. Because these breaks have been happening for quite some time. I mean, this right. is why the one percent is the one percent. Um, so where is the proof in the pudding? You know, like why why aren't we seeing these things if they've been happening? I mean, this is this is an alternative way of thinking about it. 
And then you have um, some people who are saying that these taxes on the rich are actually, um, that, that Nick refers to, are actually taxes on the return to capital. And it's that investment of capital that creates the jobs. And that's why if you want the jobs, then you'd have to lower the tax rates on those returns to capital. Right. Um, which is kind of what he said by how people hid the profits. And it's kind of this thing where um, some people think that Nick doesn't really understand uh, the tax intricacies in the economy. And it's more complex than... Than he makes it sound. Right. Like, there's different kinds of taxes at play when it comes to corporations and right. um, can get a little convoluted. Uh, Forbes magazine is is someone who has repeatedly uh, spoke out against the things that Nick is saying. They've written a lot of articles, um, even about his TED talk and his mm-hmm. um, middle uh, his middle class his Politico article wage thing. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, Nick is a philanthropist. Uh, Nick is a activist, as he mentioned at the top of the interview. Um, so Nick is out there. I mean, he is, you know, this is not a new conversation for Nick. I mean, he's been saying this for quite some time. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's many publications that, um, you know, there's a lot of people that do agree with Nick, but there's a lot of lot of people that are like, no, he doesn't know what he's talking about. And But it's kind of funny, though, too. I mean, this is a sort of it gets filed onto sort of radical lefty politics sometimes. Yeah, you know? it's like, oh, this is it's it's a liberal. This right. is liberal stuff. Exactly. But, I mean it, it yeah. helps that he's a one percenter, but then of course it's like, oh he's just a liberal one percenter kind of guy. You'll see you'll see a lot of extreme right people take Nick on frequently. But it's interesting because I mean the fact of the matter is is that, you know, the inequality is tangible and it stinks, right? It's you know when you know if you were born in the seventies, you know you kind of grew up thinking that you would have these things as an adult. You know, maybe a little bit easier than, right. than well, it is to, to have them today. I mean, and then you have people who are from the you know the baby boomer generation who are looking at millennials and they're like, well, why are millennials still like living at home? Why are they doing this and they don't right. have. Um, you know, they don't have, they can't afford their own home. Yeah, the I mean, it's so lazy, common now for people in their so late 20s different. to live at home. Yeah. yeah. The economy yeah. has just changed so much that it's like you can barely afford a home. You yeah. can barely go to afford college back then. Like, you know, totally. Um, yeah. You, you could pretty easily. Right. You know, and you could do a, you know, a, a, a job. I mean, this is, we're going to hear a little, we're going to get more into the wage thing later, but. You know, a, a man could work a nine to five at a restaurant and support his family at right. home. It was a know? livable wage. It was a livable wage. You know, and Nick uh, is basically saying that it's not just taxes that are at fault here. It's also all these policies around wage as well. What's happened to our country and one of the big reasons the middle class has uh, declined is that in the day, 40 years ago, about 65 percent of workers were entitled to overtime if they worked more than 40 hours a week. Today, if you're salaried, that number is just 8%. The overtime threshold is something that people really, really don't understand very well, but it is the indispensable labor protection for middle-class people. And here's why. If you go to work for a jack-in-the-box or something like that, and your boss pitches you a fake title like assistant manager, they can make you work 70 hours a week without paying you overtime. And here's why that's terrible, is if you do that 30 or 40 or 50 million times across the economy, you have turned three jobs at 40 hours a week into two jobs at 60 hours a week millions of times. And that's a way to turn 60 million jobs into 40 million jobs and take 20 million jobs out of the economy. And so nobody makes overtime anymore. 
He makes a good point about the overtime. And, you know, we see a lot more of this activity today. You know, we see these um, these major companies that um, have, you know, half of the staff is, quote unquote, permalance. It's sort of a way uh, to get away from paying benefits for them. Right. It's the loophole. Right. And it's 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 frustrating. You know, I mean, you know, for people like us that have worked in the production business for a while, we generally work as freelancers or independent contractors. Right, film production is you know this is the nature right of the and, game. And and you know a bad you know aspect of that uh, type of job is that you don't get the benefits, you don't get the overtime, you don't get you know obviously different people have different deals, but for the most part, I mean it's very common for people to do. 12, 14, 15 hour days on set. Um, right. And now you're seeing that in other places outside of production. You're seeing that within tech companies. You're seeing that you're seeing independent contractors becoming a more popular thing as time goes on. And I think that's kind of a scary thing. Or even as you said, you know, Jack in the Box, uh, fast food companies, it's really it's infiltrated basically everywhere. Yeah. Like, let's let's give you this title. And we're gonna we're gonna make it feel like you're getting something, but meanwhile, you know, we're giving you this on the left, but we're robbing from you on the right over here, and and you see how many people wear so many different hats too, right? I mean, it's like people are doing, assuming like two or three different people's jobs in different companies and stuff. And on top of overtime, you know, where it's just dwindling, people already don't make enough money in the first place. And Hanauer also thinks that's part of the problem. And he successfully lobbied for a higher minimum wage uh, in the state of Washington mm-hmm. um, for a $15 minimum wage, which that's the movement that's been yep. happening across um, many different states. We had it here in New York City right. in 2015 recently. Um, and he thinks that the rest of the country needs to follow suit. The idea that raising wages kills jobs flies in the face of all common sense. There's no earthly reason why Walmart couldn't pay every single worker enough to lead a dignified middle-class life without government assistance. The reason they don't is they choose not to, and no one has confronted that. It's egregious. If you put me in charge of the country, what I would not do is implement the minimum wage geographically, which is what we have largely done. If you go to a small town, it's not dominated by the local department store. It's the Walmart or the Walgreens or the Bank of America or whatever it is that employs people. And so if it was me, what I would do is implement labor standards like the minimum wage, not by geography, but by company size. This is not to penalize uh, the biggest companies, but to hold them to the standard that they should be held to, which is, congratulations, you're a giant, profitable, multinational corporation. Now act like one. When I start talking about wa- raising wages to my wealthy friends and CEOs, mostly they look at their shoes. But nobody wants to face the truth. If past is prologue, they're going to wake up after everything gets burned down and then be like, oh, geez, we should do something different. The simple truth is that our country will not be better until people feel better, and they're not going to feel better until they do better, and they're not going to do better, and here's the hard part, until we pay them more. And everything else in politics is either a distraction or a lie. Hanauer himself has said, um, as one of the first investors of Amazon, that he still holds Jeff Bezos to the same high standards as he does any CEO who runs a successful business empire. Um, Because... For me, that was kind of the elephant in the room when he said that, you know, he's doing this, but he also was an investor in Amazon. And I know that didn't bother you as much, Brian. Right. Um, but I like that he he at least addresses like, hey, you know, I, that doesn't mean that I uh, am approving of Jeff Bezos and 
Um, and I don't know how the Amazon, the state that Amazon was at the time was different than how it is now and how it's grown. Yeah, I mean, he, he had said it was more of a, you know, scrappy upstart right. you know, thing back then. I mean, obviously, he made a ton of money off of it. But, you know, his point, which I see where he's coming from, is that it's, you know, once upon a time, companies cared a little bit more about their optics, about how they handled certain situations, right? It, it doesn't really seem like people care about, uh, you know, th- there's no way a company's going to shame another company into proper practice. Um, so his point is that it's really the government's job to step in and make the rules that the companies have to abide by. So even though right. e- even though Jeff Bezos, um, you know, who is a... Uh, uh, you know, a, a billionaire in his own right, and I think the median uh, Amazon employee makes like around thirty k a year or something like that. Um, it's you know, Jeff Bezos isn't a great guy for not paying the higher wages that he should be paying. Just like Walmart isn't great or Walgreens isn't right, great. Right, right. He he says it, it's not his obligation, but it's the government's job to kind of come in and spank these companies, yeah, and be like, listen, you guys all have to do that. You know, right. what, once upon a time, like a company would do the proper thing, and other companies would want to follow suit. Right. That doesn't really happen anymore. I mean, right. Which I get it. You know, it's just that I think, um, you know, I, I I like that he says I you know I still. Uh, hold him to a higher standard than I do everybody else, right. you know, and I I kind of, you know, in a way when he's saying all these things, maybe some of his statements sound kind of like a pipe dream, like, oh, yeah, like this will never happen. R- right. But I like that he at least gets real and he's like, listen, I know that they're probably not doing this now because they simply don't want to do this because they want the money. Right. You know, um, but we do need to uh, to put the pressure on on the government to do something about it. There are no examples in human history of a society that is that unequal that is not either in revolution or uh, in an authoritarian police state. We are trending dangerously towards an authoritarian police state today. This is not a partisan issue. The truth is that a thriving middle class creates growth, not the other way around. And we all Again, Democrats and Republicans should hold our elected leaders to the standard of enacting policies that benefit working class and middle class people directly, not cutting taxes for rich people and hoping that it'll trickle down, but raising wages for middle income people. That's what we should unite around. And that's what a teacher or a firefighter or a police officer or whoever you are, that is what you can do. You can call your elected representative and demand those policies and not get conned by this trickle-down nonsense that raising wages kills jobs. It doesn't. It's just a thing rich people say to poor people to keep rich people rich and poor people poor. It's a lie. Don't, Don't believe it. A lot of these politicians are also, like, these corporations are in the back pocket, like... Or, like, giving these politicians money oh, no, of to course. enact the policies that they want. And, I'm like, I understand that he's like, you know, you got to you gotta call, so you know, your uh, elected officials and you got to, you know, lobby for these kinds of policies. But Well, the point is, is, is that, you know, he, he says if you look at history, right, it's anytime there has been such a, an economic inequality like this, um, you know, corporations at the end of the day are supposed to benefit people no matter what. And when they don't, you know, it, it's this weird, like, one hand helps the other, right? Like, if the people truly feel at a certain point 
that they're not being benefited by these companies, and which were already kind of there. Um, you know, this is sort of his call to action to the other one percenters to be like, hey, you know, wake up because you can't keep taking advantage like this for much longer because we're potentially on the on the uh, brink of a revolution. You know, at some point in time, the poor and the disenfranchised are going to have enough, and they're going to say, but I feel like that's they don't want to take it anymore. I feel like that's such a fantasy because when you have st- businesses like a, I mean, it was what like, the French Revolution, like was based Amazon. On. I mean, yeah, but I mean, yeah. in this day and age, when you have stuff like a. Like Amazon taking over Whole Foods, and like you have right. one, you one huge corporation, yeah, one conglomerate owning all of these other businesses that you kind of rely on for food and for your basic needs of living. Like it gets to the point where like how do you how do you protest? And also it's like there's also tons of people that rely on the convenience of Amazon, rely on the convenience. Of oh the no, stores. sure, yeah. I mean, you I'm, know, I don't know. I don't think it's just as easy as like rise up and. I mean, I think you should. You can't just. But also, you're right. No, I. I, t- I mean, this is sort of the dystopian nightmare, right? This is like the you know we've been become so, you know, coddled and sort of you know Xanaxed out or whatever in our own lives that like we you know I, do d- doesn't does the society even have the fire within them anymore to actually do something like right. this? You know. And um, and even like you said, I mean, it's it, it's it's interesting too. Like a lot of people don't even understand uh, the magnitude of some of these uh, companies or organizations that you know you, you hear like several different brands of say, for example, like sunglasses, right? But I, th- I think it's like eighty percent of all sunglasses produced generally come from the same manu- uh, same brands that just uh, right g- things gives like different that are names to it. It's so common. People don't understand. They think. Right. Oh well, you know this brand of soda is different than this brand of soda, and I'm, you know, I like right. this brand better. But really, what they don't know is that Coca-Cola owns both. Well, the, this you know, is... even little things like that. <laughs> no, you know what totally. I'm saying? Where people yeah, don't yeah. think of it that you know, soda is not quite the hot topic. Right. But, right. Um, no, no, but but that's, I mean, that is the deal. It's I as mean, mundane. I mean, it can get as mundane as that. Is, you, know, you know, there's that whole sort of you know chart you can go online and see what company owns what company, what company owns that company, and then you can almost trace it down to these sort of you know this this handful of major things that are kind of operating everything. Right. Um, you know, but the flip side of what he's saying is like, listen, if if, if the people don't wake up, then, um, you know, what's what is inevitably going to happen? What are we on our way to an authoritarian state, right, where we're just completely at the mercy and controlled uh, by this blend of politics and uh, corporations uh, that are pretty much just dictating who gets what? Um, I don't know. I guess I'm a bit more pessimistic. I know that's what he's saying, but I'm just like, I know, with the way things are going and how these, these corporations are paying politicians to lobby for, you know, you know yes, what I'm saying? I, ab- I don't know. Absolutely. And it, well, they, you know, and that's the thing is like we need to be looking towards um, we need a bigger focus on uh, antitrust laws. We need a bigger focus on politicians that care about what these corporations right. are doing and what they're taking advantage of. Right. Uh, we need the voices of the people to speak up. We need the, we right. need the voices we, of the people I mean, to wake up and, and, to, and to show that they care about right. this Right. I'm stuff. not saying that we should just continue on and say there's no hope. Right. But, um, you know, it's it's much harder than I, you know, Hanover makes it seem. No, it's I— like, I, you got to call. But I think that is— that's. Key. I understand. I, yeah. it, it's tough, too, because— like, I was just a little— Even when I asked him that question, I was kind of curious what he would say, because there was a, it, it does seem like there's a certain level of futility in the argument, right? It's I mean, like, what did you think he would say? I was I really wasn't sure. I, I really had no idea. And, and even still, I, I feel like that, you know, is somewhat of a sort of generic response, right? It's just like, you know, call, call, your, local call your local officials, officials and, and, and you know. But, I mean, you know, what else can you really 
do other run than, for office other than revolt well there you go but then you, then, then you become the local official it is i the local <laughs> official i'll vote for you thank you uh, so anyhow uh one of the things that we cut out of the interview that we're going to play as our bonus clip bonus clip time uh was sort of this uh this interesting perspective he had kind of a funny term for it but it's sort of this um you know sort of another vivid illustration of the erroneous belief of how you're going to, um, you know, get the maximum out of your customers uh, by paying your workers the minimum. And, you know, so as a capitalist, uh, what I can tell you is that every capitalist I know shares the same, I call it an econo-erotic fantasy. And the fantasy goes like this. My customers will all be rich and be paid a lot by their employers. My workers, sadly, will not be paid a lot. So my margins are very high. And I'll exist in this world where uh, my workers are poor, but my customers are rich. And my workers need food stamps, sadly. But my customers are wealthy enough to both buy my stuff and pay the taxes that will fund the food stamps. Like, I get that fantasy. The problem with that fantasy is if everybody gets that deal, then you have no economy anymore, right? So there you have it. That was uh, Nick Hanauer, and that was our unfiltered episode dealing with finance and the economy. Ooh, tough stuff. It's far cry from uh, racism, sex workers, and killer robots, but we do every we do a little bit of everything. We here try at to unfiltered. cover as much as we can. And if you ever have any ideas, uh, feel free to drop us a line in the comments section. We we do read those. We really do. They're um, entertaining to say the least. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, please go on to yahoonews.com to watch the video segment of the interview. And you can also listen uh, to Unfiltered the Podcast on Apple Podcast every week or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>